Welcome to our newest episode of the uh, Lebanese Physicians uh, Podcast. And uh, today we will be talking about palliative care services in the Middle East and the North Africa region. Today we have several uh, guests uh, with us, all from the Research for Health and Conflict in the Middle East and MENA region project, uh, which is a collaboration between uh, the King's College in London and multiple other universities in the uh, Middle East region. Our guests today come from... Uh, London, Turkey, uh, and uh, Aman Jordan. So uh, first we've got Dr. Sabah uh, Boufkhed, who is a lecturer in global health uh, at the Humanitarian and Conflict Response Institute University of Manchester and visiting researcher in the King's College uh, London. And uh, Sabah is an interdisciplinary global health researcher who's been committed to social justice. And she's done a lot of research on uh, palliative care services uh, in uh, the Middle East, the MENA region, the Asia-Pacific region, and Africa, and uh, on the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, on palliative care services in the region. Our second guest is Dr. Uh, Seema Yurdushin, who is a clinical psychologist uh, currently based in Ankara at Ankara Bilim University. Uh, she, in her previous job, she had worked uh, as a clinical psychologist for the pediatric oncology wards in, uh, in Ankara and has done a lot of research on the effects of uh, cancer on uh, child health and has also been involved in the research for health and conflict uh, project uh, in the MENA region. Uh, then we, do, we have Dr. Uh, Fahad uh, Ahmed, who's also based in Ankara, Turkey, and currently is uh, an assistant uh, professor of public health at Ankara Yilrim uh, Bayezid University. And uh, Dr. Dr. Ahmed has, has done a lot of research in both uh, the Middle East area and, and also Pakistan. A lot of it is on palliative care services, also on, uh, on vaccine services, and has been actually uh, part of a WHO group uh, on uh, uh, the polio vaccine uh, in uh, Pakistan uh, in the past. Uh, and uh, finally, we have uh, Ghadir, Ms. Ghadir Al-Arji, who is currently, uh, currently working at the King Hussein Hospital in the Center for uh, Palliative Care and uh, Cancer Services uh, over there, and has been uh, involved of a lot of, uh, in a lot of the palliative care work uh, at the hospital and with cancer patients at the hospital, and also in the Research for Health and Conflict uh, group. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you. Uh, thank you. So uh, I'm going to ask first, uh, Dr. Boufred. Uh, so, so Dr. Boufred, before we start talking about palliative care, I wanted to ask you, what is palliative care and what is its role in healthcare? Because I think a lot of people interpret palliative care in different ways, uh, but if we can discuss that first. Um, yes, uh, thank you for the question. So there's a several way of seeing a palliative care. And I think most of the time people see it as an end of life care, but that's actually going beyond that. So first of all, it's an essential health service under the universal health care and countries should provide access to their population. Um, I think my colleague would be much better at uh, describing it, but the basic academic or approach to it would be to give you the WHO definition, um, which is basically an approach to health uh, that aims at relieving suffering of people. So not only physical pain or physical symptom, but also psychological and social suffering, and also addressing their spiritual needs when they are in crisis towards a quite a difficult um, diagnostics. 
it's it's most of the time it's a patient-centered and a family-centered uh, care, um, and it has a lot of interdisciplinary uh, team working to take care of the patient's needs. So there's a lot of uh, so some of them are actually here with us. So there's nurses of palliative care, psychologists, social workers, and I think maybe my colleague can say a bit more as they would be yeah. practicing more than me. <laughs> yes, Gadir, uh, as part of the palliative care team. Uh, and at King Hussein Cancer Center, can you describe to us what your what your role, what the role of nursing is in uh, providing palliative care services at the hospital? Uh, well, as Sabah said, we are a part of the interdisciplinary team uh, of the palliative care, uh, trying to improve the quality uh, of care and um, elevate the suffering for patients and their families during the journey of uh, their tra cancer trajectory, mainly because I'm working in cancer center. So we start with them from day one uh, till after the death even, uh, providing um, uh, support for the family uh, in their uh, grieving and in their bereavement period. So uh, we start uh, to deal with those patients and families from the beginning till, the end, till after the end. Uh, trying to support them as much as possible. And um, as well, I want to add that uh, it's not only improve the quality uh, of care for those patients and family, it's also reduced the unnecessary hospitalization and the use of uh, healthcare services. Uh, and uh, is thus a cost-saving public health intervention can be considered. So uh, I think palliative care should be integrated with other services from day one. Yeah. Yes, and and and, and Simon, you you are a clinical. You've been a clinical psychologist in the pediatric oncology wards at Ankara. So, how was how was your role in providing palliative care services, and what is your view of palliative care services for pediatric patients? Yes, thank you for the question. Um, in the place where I work, the, there is two, two separate parts that we are doing service to the patients. One was uh, inpatient. One, the other one. Outpatient. It's not outpatients, but they are coming daily and doing their home living. But in the inpatient service, uh, they stay there, unfortunately, at least one week. So, as a psychologist, I am the only person who is from social areas in that setting, and that's what the team, like doctors, nurses, and other stuff. Uh, so, I try uh, as my role, it is usually, it is me who mostly defines this frame of the service to those patients. Uh, usually I try to know in advance at the beginning when they got the diagnosis. I make interviews with families and try to get in communication with the child. Uh, and uh, it's just, it is, this, this uh, setting is not very suitable to do uh, weekly therapies or something like this, but uh, they are coming and going in, in the chemotherapy treatment from different, at different times. I try to talk to them from time to time whenever I can see them. It's not very consistent, but uh, I, my main role is to make the connection first and try to tell them that we are around to meet their needs, to meet their needs to talk or other needs, to solve the problems, to get them uh, like integrate the 
traumatic event and to cope with it uh, during the It's my role, basically. Thank you. And uh, so I'm just going to discuss a brief overview of the advent of palliative care services in the West, uh, because even in the West, it took it took a long time for people to start accepting uh, these services, uh, 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 both in the US and the UK. And till now, I think there's people who still think that palliative care is just an end of life care for patients and not something that's a continuum of care for these patients. Maybe, uh, Dr. Ahmed, we can discuss this topic uh, a bit. Yes, uh, thank you very much for this uh, highlighting this point because still now the people in the palliative care, when you refer the people for the palliative care, the family or the patient, they think that the hope is lost for them and they are just now left for dying. So the palliative care by its theme, it is neither for hesitating, neither for postponing the death. It is just to improving the quality of life of the patients and the quality of life of the caregivers as well. Because now, as you uh, know, even in the Eastern part of the world, the families are now moving from the Western styles. Even in the past, the peoples are living in the, what you call as in the, in the rural areas and everyone is caring for the sick peoples. And especially the women's have been an important role for the caregiving. This was, I, I will, Talk and this was actually the gender inequality in the palliative care that the women take more responsibility to take care. But now, if you look for the Eastern part, even in the Middle East region or even in the Pakistan or in the Turkey, now the families are moving from the rural area to the urban areas and everyone is working. So the focus of the palliative care that is now not only focusing on the provision of the care for the patients, but also for the caregivers, so reducing the burden on the caregivers as well. And this important point that it is needed to be described in the beginning of the treatment that it is separated from the hospice care. It is not just only uh, letting the persons to die. It is just not let, uh, withholding or withdrawing the treatment. It is. It is the integral part. It is uh, including in the cancer treatment or even for the any disease that has been chronic disease, either it may be a communicable disease like HIV that makes time for the treatment and the healing like tuberculosis or even for the uh, cardiac disease. So uh, this is the important thing that needs to be uh, clear in the mind of the population. And this is the weakest point in the region as well. Uh, because the peoples, when you refer for the palliative care, they think that hope is lost. All right, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ahmad. And one, one question I have is, when did palliative care services start taking shape in the MENA region? Uh, and what's the state of palliative care in the region? Maybe Ghadir can, uh, can start with, uh, with this question uh, as a palliative care nurse in, in Jordan. Uh, well, um, for us in Jordan, uh, palliative care started uh, from a private foundation uh, called Al Malad uh, in early uh, 1990s. Uh, and after that, uh, it took place on, uh, at KHCC in 2003. Uh, and it developed after that. Well, uh, in many countries in the MENA region, it have not yet considered, uh, they have not yet considered palliative care as a public health need till now. 
So it's not included in their healthcare agenda, I think. Uh, yet several initiative and uh, best practice have been developed uh, in the region in many countries such as uh, our country, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Qatar, Morocco, Lebanon, and Egypt. Egypt. Uh, however, uh, the, those services have uh, been in a large part restricted uh, in reach and not fully integrated into the national uh, health strategy. They are mostly delivered for cancer patients in our country, not for all patients, you know, and mainly in tertiary cancer center, our tertiary cancer center. So uh, in the capital, Amman, so it's a little bit restricted for the those group uh, of people in Jordan. So, so you're saying it's restricted in Jordan? Well, it's not delivered for every patient, as I told you. Mainly, it's delivered as a um, uh, well-developed structured palliative care, mainly in KHCC. Some services are de delivered in another uh, governmental hospital, but not structured as, uh, structured as uh, KHCC. So it's mainly in Jordan, uh, delivered by KHCC and some private uh, foundation that uh, take care mainly of cancer patients, adults and pediatrics. And, and Sima, how, is, how, is, uh, how are the services or how is the development of palliative care in, in Turkey at this point? Okay, um, uh, maybe Fahad might explain better than I, but uh, as a psychologist, uh, I will try to say what I know. Um, I think it, it is a new thing in Turkey, this palliative care service. Uh, the history is not very old, maybe 20 years ago it first started and recently after 2010 it gets better in different hospitals um, but still needs more more way to go because even in our hospital there are uh, spectrum deficiencies persists like uh, i am the only psychologist there but we have difficulty to collaborate with dietitians pain management sometimes difficulty i mean not all the time but um it needs more time to establish a more collaborative approach to, to give service to those patients. Uh, I suppose Fahad knows the history better than me, maybe you can explain more. Yeah, yeah Fahad, so how, how, how is it progressing in Turkey or is it just limited to certain cancer centers at this point? Uh, actually, when you look for the uh, development of the palliative care in the Turkey, it was actually in the same time when the, the palliative care concept was emerging in the Middle East and North African region, MENA region. And it was actually in 19, early 19s, there was the Middle East Cancer Consortium that was an intergovernmental organizations between six countries in the region. And the interesting thing was there, the countries are very politically opposed to each other, like Palestinian Authority on one side, and Israel on the other side, Turkey on one side, and the Jordan politically on another side. But this intergovernmental organization was actually the basic point for the starting of the cancer registry in the regions and for the development of the palliative care and the cancer control, development of the cancer control program in this region as well. So in the Turkey, the, uh, the palliative care services started with the provision of the pain treatment in early part of the 1980s or 1990s. And then there was a establishment of the pain control department in the hospitals for the treatment of the cancer pain. 
but later this was after middle east cancer consortium turkish oncological society group and the various ngos they had played an important role for the development of the palliative care in the turkey and by the time of 2005 the ministry of the health had taken the interest for the development of the palliative care and the cancer control program under the umbrella of the ministry of health and if you uh, go back in the time the first policy document for the provision of the palliative care comes in 2010 by the development of the national wide program for provision of the palliative care known as the pala turk program although it was on the document for one year but it has moved from the policy to the uh, establishment of the uh, palliative care departments in the various tertiary hospitals in major cities and currently when you look there are various uh, sorts of the regulations for the provision of the cancer pain treatment uh, with the opioid medications and now the medications are available with the social security coverage and the uh, doctors have no problems on prescribing the opioid medications and the patient have access to the pain medication easily with this and also the home healthcare services had been integrated in the palliative care component so the social services can be patient can be achieved because one of the major component of the palliative care is to move the patient from institutional settings to the home settings to reduce the burden on the institutions and we had seen this at the time of the covid 19 and no not all the patient need the home care but might be some specialized palliative care department might be needed for some patient so the turkey have the both component the palliative care that is provided in the institution the palliative care that is provided in home and one of the major model of the palliative care that was established in the turkey and uh, by the palatur program was a community palliative care program so that have the primary health care physicians are also trained for provision of the palliative care in the turkey although there are some uh, disadvantage of Uh, the programs as well and there are some limitations but currently there is a specialized palliative care department in the ministry of health and the number of the bed had been increased uh, since uh, 2015 and currently near 5000 beds are available for just only provision of the palliative care and the various teams are there so including the uh, psychiatrists psychologists pain medications nutritionists physiotherapists and even spiritual uh, imams or the spiritual peoples are there in the part of the team and but the, again the services of the state of art services is only available in the major cities so everyone is not able to achieve this services in the uh, underdeveloped areas all right thank you and and it, it seems like turkey is maybe ahead of uh, some of the other uh, middle east and north africa countries in the provision mm-hmm. of palliative care services Uh, if you look for the palliative care mapping that had been conducted by the world palliative care alliance i think saba will explain it more better so the israel is on the top right so they have the best because there are various categories and through which the countries are being marked so turkey is on the level of the uh, somewhat disintegration but for the israel it is completely integrated into the primary health care and the universal health coverage so it is on the top okay yeah and, and, and sabah that really brings me to a question since you have researched the provision of palliative care services in multiple uh, mina countries uh, and and 
MENA countries are, are different, I think, in terms of uh, their economies. Some of them are economic crisis. Some of them are in uh, conflict and war. Um, how would you describe the continuum of services in these countries or how different are they between the different countries? Is there a huge gap in services from one country to the other? Uh, yes, that's, that's an excellent question, actually, because um, so one thing that, of course, everybody knows now how uh, the region is affected by conflict and economic crisis, for example, in Lebanon. So one thing that these conflicts have done is that they have weakened the health systems and they have slowed down or even reversed uh, some of the progress that were being made, uh, in particularly cancer care uh, in some of the countries. So in times of crisis or conflict, people move, obviously. And so migration within the countries and outside of countries pushes people into services that are not necessarily planned for that amount of people. So the increase, the demand increase, the demand in palliative care, for example, increase within countries, like in safer areas, but also, for example, Turkey and Jordan are major recipients of immigration. Um, so, so that's creating a tension for health services. Uh, that that's definitely one thing, but also there's one. So, for example, uh, Fahad was referring to the the palliative, the global atlas of palliative care, and so there have been surveys, and so some countries like uh, Palestine or Iraq have no access to palliative care within the country. So, for example, Palestinians have to go abroad. So either they can go to Israel, or they can go to Jordan most of the time, but that also depends on authorization that they get internally. So that creates a lot of difficulties, for example, in that specific country. Um, and there's also difficulties in accessing medicine. So for example, in Syria, now that everything is disrupted, uh, people who need palliative care would most likely go elsewhere and or they will have their access to care or medicine disrupted. But also the last thing is that palliative care specialists would go, there's not enough palliative care specialists in the region, and they would go away if there is a conflict or an economic crisis. So that's something that would be expected with within the region is that there's already scarce resources and any tiny bit of additional conflict or crisis just makes everything worse for patients and families that stay there. Yeah, and and and, and one, one question I think we didn't address too is, let's say when I was, when I was working in Lebanon a number of years ago, uh, they, they actually passed, the Ministry of Health passed a resolution that palliative care services will be paid for by insurance companies. And is this the case in, in Turkey and Jordan and maybe in other countries? Uh, maybe maybe we can start with Ghadir. So in Jordan, Ghadir is, are palliative care services at the cancer center reimbursed by insurance companies? Because that's an important point too, because if they're not reimbursed, then only people with means can access them? Well, for us uh, as Jordanian, uh, all patients, uh, adults and pediatric, are fully financially insured for all, all treatment modalities, um, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, hormonal transplant, and palliative care services and home care as well. So for by the government, they are fully insured. But for non-Jordanian, no, they have to pay, or sometimes they are supported by uh, some foundation or charity uh, organizations. So for Jordanian, they are fully insured uh, to deliver uh, any kind of treatment. Yeah. Okay, what, what about in Turkey? Maybe uh, uh, Sima and Dr. Uh, and Fahad, you can, you can address that question. Um, in Turkey, everybody has access to health. Uh, services. 
that includes the hospital service for palliative care. I, I'm not sure about the, about the home services or the hospital services, but in the hospital, if they come there, they, they can receive medication support, pain management, diet support, social support. They can receive those services. So it is also available for immigrants too. Once they immigrate to Turkey, for the patients, they gain some sort of privilege to gain from this health service. So once they are our patient, it's as far as part of the correct me, but it's, it's free for, for, for everyone as far as I know, for the as uh, yes, uh, for the uh, coverage of the clinical aspect of the palliative care, for example, provision of the essential drugs and the essential services, either by the primary care physicians or by at the specialized level of the palliative care, they are all covered with the social security system. And even the social security systems covers the home-based care and the home health services as well. But still, there is a need for the uh, coverage of the social services because the palliative care patients need some assistance 24 by 7. For example, his or her nutritional need, hygiene need, moving safely in the home. So this type of the services are still burdens on the caregivers because uh, the home health care services uh, uh, covers a, some part of social services, but not whole part of the social services. For the whole social cares, still there is a burden on the uh, health uh, on the family members, including, for example, if the person had been uh, have some special nutrition needs. So, if the person is living alone, or maybe have the caregivers who are not very supportive, or who are living apart from their patients, so there is still need to be work on the uh, broadening the social coverage. Although the clinical coverage is excellent and available for everyone, regardless of his immigration status. That is, that is great. And Sabah, is this the case in, in other countries in the MENA region? Uh, do you know how insurance coverage is in other, other parts of the MENA region? I have to say, I'm not sure. <laughs> I can tell you that in the UK, it's definitely covered by the NHS and it's fully yeah. free. And for example, you mentioned earlier, like how it is in the West. So for example, in the US, it would depend of, of your medical insurance. So they have extremely good integrated care, but not everybody can access it. So I suspect that in the region, we would face very similar situations. Exactly, I think so. And and I think, I think we addressed the question of, because I was gonna ask the question for coverage for refugees uh, in the area. And it seems that in Turkey, uh, coverage and refugees have access to uh, to coverage for palliative care services. Ghadir, is that the same in Jordan? Well, as I told you, there is some kind of charities and um, uh, certain foundation uh, that have support uh, internally and externally that support uh, those refugees. But uh, it's not for all, for, for all refugees who can access this uh, uh, support, uh, I think, a uh, limited number of refugees here in Jordan. And, and it's, it seems like uh, all of you, the reason we're all here today is because all of you have collaborated on, on multiple projects through the Research for Health and Conflict in the MENA region uh, project. 
And so how did, how did this uh, uh, project come about or how did this collaboration come about to uh, research uh, palliative care services in the region? Maybe, maybe Sawahi can start with that question. Um, so I may not even be the best because I think my colleagues have been in the project uh, before me. So I just took the train when it was already on the rail. Um, so teams at uh, King's College uh, London uh, have collaborated with teams at Hachetepe University and King Hussein Cancer Center. Um, and so the idea was uh, to address this huge research knowledge gap, which is what are actually the needs and concerns for patients in the Middle East so that we can tailor palliative care and, and we can improve the quality of care that is already delivered in the cases of uh, these two cancer centers. So, so I jumped halfway in the train. So they would have, if you want about to know more about the history of the project, I may not be the best <laughs> So, So maybe uh, Fahad or, or Simo, you can, you can uh, shed light on that aspect. Uh, actually, the, uh, as the Sabah has mentioned, that this project was basically to identify the gaps for the palliative care in the MENA regions. So it was uh, good with the collaboration. It was actually the good collaboration between the, what you call as, as the North and South collaborations to improve the capacity building as well for the palliative care. So the basic uh, uh, component for this uh, project for the palliative care was uh, that we are working on identifying the needs and the, uh, actually the basically the what are the needs and where, how we can develop some scale to measure their needs or their, and how can we measure the outcome after giving their, uh, fulfilling their needs. So we actually conducted some uh, uh, interviews between the healthcare, work, healthcare workers that include the oncologists uh, and the other, as you know, that palliative care is a, a multidisciplinary team. So we included most of the people that are engaged in the delivering of the palliative care in the Jordan, in the Turkey. And also there are partners in the UK as well. And uh, the basic, who is getting the care? The, actually we are focusing on the pediatric care. So we work on the pediatric component and we had taken the interviews with the children and uh, uh, thanks to the SEMA because she engaged with the children's and the interview with children is very difficult thing because for even when you talk about the palliative care needs for the children as well and also for the caregivers. So SEMA from here you can continue that what we come out with and the SABA and the Jadir made either for the informations and for the need. Well, well, when I joined the project it was 2018 and just a little, maybe one year before it was already started by his college and I think about his same center. Um, I, as far as I know, this, this part this part of the project was a, a one dimension of the bigger part, bigger project. Uh, there is mental health uh, dimension of it too. Uh, we are working on consultations and some other projects and we've done as well. Um, so, when we talk about palliative care, we mostly focus on cancer patients. Uh, I, I will just before I thought that uh, palliative care is available for everyone, I was only thinking about cancer, not all chronic diseases. So, I'm not sure about that part too, but for us, 
we were wondering about what's happening, uh, what, what are the daily experiences of those patients and their families uh, during their cancer treatment, uh, especially considering the death, um, immigration issues, economic crisis, political issues. Uh, how are they impacted by those things? The project was uh, planned to put such a thing in mind. So after 2018, I joined the team and uh, we made interviews with the patients, caregivers, and some of the staff who are working in the hospital to understand different perspectives of those experiences, those treatment and its effects, its psychological effects, financial effects, uh, like, like social effects, everything, schooling, everything. Uh, so it took about one year to complete those interviews. And we all worked on it together to understand what had been concerns and needs. And uh, like in, a, in the following weeks or months, we are about to publish it, uh, about the most of the uh, concerns that they expressed. There were lots of things that they expressed, but we tried to categorize and summarize them uh, to understand what are the experience and how are we supposed to do proper service to them? Uh, so it's almost finished. We will see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so, so basically, uh, we are identifying a lot of the unmet needs for, for these patients and hopefully work over time, probably work on, on, uh, on uh, improving these needs and, and, and uh, fulfilling them. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there was also a lot of research conducted on the potential for palliative care services to support the health system uh, in the MENA region and outside the MENA region. So uh, maybe Sabah, you can talk to us about the survey that was done on uh, palliative care services in the MENA region. Uh, yes, so that, that was one of the things, uh, this collaboration that we built uh, helped develop. So uh, first of all, we worked on a survey to assess how prepared were palliative care services to respond to COVID-19. So it started with a study, small study uh, done in Italy when they started to have the first cases of COVID. So palliative care services mobilized quickly and started to quickly survey over the phone. And so we expanded it um, with first with the African Palliative Care Association, who had uh, an incredible network of palliative care associations throughout the continent. And with, I'm not sure for North Africa, uh, but overall they have a represented uh, in every country. So we could survey and see how the palliative care services uh, were ready and how they could reply. And so we did, we tried to do the same uh, in the Middle East and it was much more challenging uh, because there is no official network so, um, and it was actually quite difficult to identify key stakeholders or key points of contact uh, of palliative care services in the region. That's something we find really, really difficult. Uh, but overall, we managed to have uh, representatives in 12 countries of the region. Um, and so what we found is that overall, the palliative care services adapted very quickly by changing their protocols for visits because obviously they are caring for highly vulnerable patients, especially cancer patients, for example. So they did adapt their procedure internally. They put in place uh, infectious disease control, like having hand sanitizers 
and water and soap hand washing facilities, but also we identified that a third of them were worried about accessing basic hygiene products like uh, accessing soap or disinfectant or even running water for some settings. So this we found it was quite concerning also because the people we managed to access were most likely the well, the most developed of all the services because we're based in the UK. So if we could access them, clearly they are uh, highly connected. Um, and most of the, in the services we identified, they actually adapted very quickly and shifted to technology uh, use. For example, they started to use the phone to like follow up with their patient instead of making them come in the hospital where they could potentially get exposed to COVID. Um, so these are the really good thing that happened. And in some specific places, like they actually helped us other services to respond to COVID. And so what we found is that um, palliative care services have, for example, protocols to um, help people manage breathlessness at home. So these are things that are done, uh, for example, in I know in the UK, there is like a very simple leaflet that was distributed to patients, palliative care patients, and then the team scaled it up nationally to support other services. So what we found in the region is that the majority, not majority, like about half of the services were having protocols for symptom management that they could share with non-specialists. Um, they were happy to be contacted to train non-palliative care specialists to do basic pain relief and accompanying patients, uh, for example, in their end of life, because that was one of the key issues that came up with COVID. 19. And also the other thing that they could help support with is triaging patients, because that's an expertise that palliative care um, specialists are able to do. So what we found is that uh, if we had more integrated care, more integrated palliative care within health system, in a case of a public health emergency like this one, palliative care services could actually help non-specialists to address these end-of-life care that are unexpected, um, especially in COVID, I think it's all clear for us at this stage, I think, what I mean. Right, because in COVID-19 patients, some of, some of this could also be sudden, somebody could be healthy and suddenly uh, they're at the end of their life. So it's even maybe harder than, than other uh, comorbidities or diseases that yeah. happen. Uh, so Ghadir, so, so how, was, how was the provision of, palli of palliative care services during COVID-19 at the King Hussein Cancer Center? Well, uh, it was similar to what Sabah had said. We used a virtual clinic um, and tried to contact patients uh, all the time, our patients. Even the home care patients were contacted and they were allowed to contact the team anytime. And even the home care team uh, for crisis visit, they continue to visit patients using the protocols and the, the, the isolation uh, precautions and things like that and also a lot of policies we have to uh, we we modified it uh, like the dnr uh, policy do not resuscitate so uh, in case uh, of uh, for example the beds were full uh, we have to discuss the dnr code with uh, those uh, patient uh, COVID patients in order to uh, maintain the service as much as possible for uh, all patients and we also did the study, but we are uh, still continuing it, uh, uh, studying. Uh, it's a kind of survey for healthcare provider to look uh, for their mental health uh, resilience and uh, how the stress affected them during the uh, COVID pandemic. And, and uh, what did you find in that study? We are still analyzing this uh, results. So we, when we publish it, I will send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, 
So what, what are the next steps for uh, palliative care research and collaboration in the region? And specifically, I think there was a study done at uh, Birzeit University in Palestine. Can we discuss that study as we're discussing also the next steps for uh, research and collaboration in the region? Uh, yes, yeah, so that's our colleague uh, in Birzeit University. So it's a study led by Professor Rita Giacomo and, we, um, and Dr. William Hamoude. And so they are currently doing a similar study to what was done in uh, Turkey and uh, Jordan. And so they are assessing the specific palliative care needs and concerns for adults with advanced cancer in Palestine. And so because of the setting, uh, they're gonna look on the top of it, they're gonna look at the influence of the political economy situation uh, in, uh, in Palestine. So they are, I think they are analyzing the data at this stage and hopefully they will get some information soon. But um, so I guess that's something that we will highly follow up because um, this is a highly interesting setting because the provision of care for Palestinian is another level of complexity. They can't, they don't have care within the country and these patients need authorization from the Israelis to cross the border to access care. So they will also explore how it, uh, how the experience of advanced cancer patient is in regard to that as well. Yeah, that that would be that would be. Uh, hopefully, we'll get these findings uh, soon uh, uh, afterwards. And uh, so, what what are some what are some future collaborations that are being worked on uh, at this point? So there are a few um, there are a few things that uh, my colleague can develop on. So a me on my personal level also because I'm I'm more global health than palliative care. So one of my major interests is to bring in the palliative care expertise within emergency response because they are because that's a field of research that has about fifty year plus experience in dealing with uncertainty, dealing with end of life and sudden diagnosis and like having difficult conversations. And these are things that have a huge benefit for humanitarian responses or um, or just emergency response. And uh, we are working on developing, uh, I think Fahad mentioned uh, briefly, uh, we want to translate the findings on children palliative care into having a tool to uh, improve quality of care. So developing a palliative care outcome scale for practitioners in order to monitor and improve quality of care, both in Jordan and uh, Turkey. Uh, I hope we have much more collaboration and we hope that we will expand to other uh, countries in the region. We started, we discussed a little bit with Lebanon, but the situation in Lebanon, as you know, through your podcast uh, is slightly complicated these days. Um, and I will maybe the other wanna raise the next step because we've also done some work on uh, refugees needs of palliative care and I think that's one of the findings that maybe I want to say a little bit more is that one of the key things with palliative care services um, is obviously providing, so A, there is a major pain, like pain management that is a severe issue. And you mentioned the unmet needs for psycho psychological care. And I think SEMA is at the top of the expertise in this group on that. Um, but also there is one thing that is highly important in the region is that in the, like culturally, people rely on family support. Um, and so when you have a lack of access to palliative care nationally, you people have to move away from their social network to have access to care. So most of the time, the mother will travel with the kid in the big city and leave the family behind, or, or the father will also have to come and sometimes they lose their job because they need to take care 
like 100% of their time of their sick children. And so you can imagine, for example, one research of the team, and I think uh, some of you have heard of that one, looked at refugees particularly who already have trauma through the refugee process. And on the top of it, you get the diagnosis of, of cancer and you have to take care of it. So it's just an accumulation of trauma for refugees that our study has looked at. But I think there's much more going on in Turkey and Jordan as well. Yeah, can you can you tell us a bit, uh, Sima and Fahad, about what's happening in Turkey? Um, it's not only for immigrant people, but also people who comes from outside of Ankara, um, because it's a, it's not a treatment that you go because you didn't come back to your home. It takes time. It takes almost six months or one year, and you have to change everything to adapt to the situation. To, to to find a home, to need more money to survive, to make things normal for the sick patient, to the child, and the other children. So everything's changing. Uh, it, is, it is more difficult for immigrants. They already left their countries, they are already alone here in Turkey, and now they are more isolated from others because they have to be around the hospital. In case of any physical emergency. So, um, yeah, the traumatic experiences are like accumulating on each other. And we, as staff, like doctors or psychologists, are around to support them, to share their stories with them, to go with this journey together with them, to make them think again, to make it a little bit more normal. Uh, our approach is this, and this applies both uh, patients from Ankara or Turkey for everyone. And Fahad, do you uh, uh, do you have any additions to this? Yeah. Uh, currently, if you look in every country, not only this specifically in the Turkey, but in the region, there is a mismatch between the need of the palliative care and the uh, the, the supply of the palliative care to those who are in need. So this is the same situation in the Turkey. And to tackle with this, we need uh, to train, as the Sabah has been mentioned, that during the time of the COVID-19, the need for the palliative care was more higher. And our region is prone for natural disasters and as well as the man-made disasters. So, we need to train each and every person in the health sectors, either it's the primary care physicians or the specialist or the oncologist or the nurse to provide at least some level of the palliative care in his or her own work or in the specialty. So the most important thing that is going on currently in the Turkey is to uh, incorporate or in some way to develop the framework for the palliative care capacity building in the healthcare systems by starting the palliative care nursing program had been started, but still there is the need for the specialty training for the palliative care program and incorporation of the palliative care in the graduations in the nursing and the medical professions. The second thing that in the palliative care that we told, uh, we, we, we always said that the theme of the palliative care is neither to postpone or neither to hesitance the death. But at the some point, the person comes towards the end of the life. So what about the end of the life care? 
this is very hard because there is no any concept of the hospice in Turkey. So truly speaking, there is no any hospice services. And also there is no any legal arrangement for the DNR, do not resuscitate order. So what happened, the patient is discharged and now he is at the terminal stage. So when he have the severity of the symptoms, the family members do not bear the pain of the persons or the person not bear and he come back again to the emergency setup. And from the emergency entered into the ICU. Until this, the human being will die on one day. How many supportive care you will provide? So there, even there is no DNR, but unofficially there are a lot of DNR that are performed every day. So there is a need for legalizing the DNR order. And for this, there is also the capacity building is needed. So do not misuse the DNR order. And last time when we meet in the in the board meeting uh, with our Jordan colleagues. So we were thinking of asking the community what they need at the time of their death, whether they want to die at the home along with their family members or they die separately in the ICU where their family member cannot see them. So what, they, what, the, what the person's own need at the time of the end of life care, what are the people's are thinking? And the, another thing is the, integration of the spiritual care, how we can include more spiritual care at the time of the end of the death. So these are the two topics for the future collaboration, I think that with the Jordan colleagues uh, we had discussed in the past. And at the level of the Turkey, the, the things that is going on in the Ministry of Health is to improve the knowledge of the palliative care among the Turkish society so that the peoples will not misunderstand the concept of the palliative care. And also along with the palliative care, we say that palliative care should be started in the earlier part of the journey. But the problem is that the cancer is diagnosed late. So when the cancer is diagnosed late, the palliative care starts also late. So at the same time, we need to improve the knowledge of the early diagnosis for the cancer and the early integration of the palliative care in the cancer care. In the Right. Yeah, so, so, it, so it seems so it seems like the future collaborations will will be it will be important to focus on provision of services to areas that do not have services right now by actually training more people to be in to have more people available in these areas uh, and then maybe trying to even the areas where palliative care is present trying to have services earlier and also trying to push governments to pass laws for. Uh, for, uh, for assistance with provision of services and for potentially hospice care. Uh, that seems like to be a big gap in some of the countries in the, in the region. I know for a fact, I can give my experience in, in Lebanon, there were some individual efforts to develop several organizations for hospice uh, care at home, such as Senad and uh, Balsam, which I think prior to the crisis were pretty successful. I think they're struggling a bit in the crisis right now, but but they were pretty successful from that standpoint uh, at that point. So, uh, so any any other uh, I guess, and and the only other thing I would say is is are there any plans to have as we discussed before, Fahad to have more intergovernmental agencies to streamline the process throughout the countries of the region? Uh, sorry, I. Yeah, are, are there any plans to have more like agencies across uh, the multiple countries of the region to streamline the health, the palliative care services across the countries of the region? As we discussed, Sabah was talking, for example, about Africa, and it was easy for her to identify uh, 
palliative care services in most of the African countries because there was a way or an agency that, that connected all of them together. Yeah, that was uh, uh, the work that had been going on. For example, there are like Middle East cancer consortiums, there are the uh, cancer societies and multiple national cancers, UICC and the many international organizations at the governmental and intergovernmental level. But uh, after the COVID-19, uh, the situations had been, the focus had been changed. Although there is a need to in increase the focus on the palliative care, but uh, what I see is the focus had been somewhat shifted with the economical changes or the economical impact and the health system impact on the COVID, due to the COVID-19. But again, I think it will be coming to the track because the palliative care is on the agenda and it is the human right. We cannot postpone the care in any way. Yes, thank you, anyway. yeah, go, go ahead, Spa. Sorry. No, I just wanted to mention, actually, that has been something uh, going on, especially with COVID. Uh, we like at King's because King's is a WHO collaborating uh, center as well. And so uh, the WHO is trying to do that, like the WHO Eastern Mediterranean region office, like EMRO. Uh, and so in 2009, they created a network. Uh, in the region with experts. And so there is a hope there that uh, there's like hubs, local hubs of expertise, because maybe one thing we didn't mention enough is that palliative care is highly culturally sensitive and you want to take care of patients the way they want to be treated and not impose like Western models in the Middle East, it wouldn't work. That's something that we're starting to see in our work is that especially spiritual care is something extremely important um, or at least spiritual support and like the way you engage with people and the way you make decisions uh, is more family oriented than in a very individualistic uh, country like the UK or the US. And so having a local, starting with WHO initiative, uh, a local hub of experts, international and national uh, experts of the region is a great start, uh, but it is still the early days. And we've seen during COVID when we tried to reach out that it was quite difficult still uh, to reach out palliative care patients. We started to have a repository, um, but unfortunately, as you know, like you need a little bit of funding and a little bit of work to develop initiatives that will help strengthen these networks in the region. So hopefully that's something that will improve in the future. Yeah, th thank you. Thank you, everyone, for all the work you're doing uh, to improve the services, uh, palliative care service in the region. Uh, anybody wants to have any final words? No, but just I want to add uh, something about the training and education and collaboration between the countries here. For example, at KHCC, we have a fellowship uh, fellowship program for palliative physicians, and uh, a lot of physicians from around countries come to do their fellowship program here from Lebanon, from Bahrain, from many countries. Uh, they came to train for two years here to be a uh, uh, fellow uh, uh, at palliative department. Uh, and we have also uh, academic training uh, and education in the uh, college and the universities. So uh, some, I have just one thing to add. Uh, the results of our study will, uh, I think, will trigger the policymakers because it will reflect the sound of, you know, children uh, as well as refugees, uh, those uh, vulnerable groups who are um, uh, rarely we, we have their voice in the research studies. So when we present those results, they will see that 
this is their needs and their concerns and that palliative care also needed for this uh, certain group of people, I hope. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was great discussing this, uh, this topic with, with all of you and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, uh, highlighting uh, more studies in the future. Uh, as we discussed, I think there's a lot of work still ongoing at this point and hopefully we'll have some more data and more actionable items uh, for the future. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Khalil. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much.